Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 25. We'll be looking at the whole chapter in our time together this morning. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment Bill's experience. Now, if your name is Bill, I'm not thinking of you. I know, Bill, you were saying, I must, Bill, I'm not thinking of you. Okay, I just, I had to come up with a name, and so Bill's the name, but nobody in here, right? If your name's Bill, I'm not thinking of you. Bill is a Christian. He's trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior. He's trying to live Christ before the world and his, and, and his family, and he's just trying to be a faithful man. But he has had ongoing problems at work because he's a Christian. It's, uh, it's affected promotions. It's affected his relationship with coworkers. He has a boss that clearly is against him. And he knows it. And it's been going on for years. And he's, he's worked really hard in that relationship to, when they do him wrong, to return good. And he prays about it, and he's wrestled through it, and he's done that. He's also had some problems with some of his extended family in the same areas. But again, he's finding God's grace. But something really ticks him off. Last winter, for Bill, it was a terrible winter. There was all kinds of snow. His neighbor... Didn't have a snowblower. Didn't even have any shovels. His health was back and forth. And Bill made a commitment through the entire winter to make sure his driveway was shoveled. Matter of fact, his snowblower broke because by the time he did his own, and his, by the end of the, of the winter, it was broken. Broke most of his shovels, too, because there was a lot of ice. This winter... That neighbor has a snowblower and shovels. And Bill's are all beat up. And, and he, we got nailed. He got nailed with this terrible storm. And he, he went over and he merely asked the guy if he could borrow one of his shovels. And the guy said, you ought to be prepared. Go ask somebody else. How do you feel about that point? What do you want to do about that point? Or say, man, like people say, well, just do what comes natural. That's not a good thing. That is not a good thing. Because if I shift into neutral and do what comes natural, bad things happen. Bad things happen. In many ways, that's the kind of scenario we come to in 1 Samuel 25. I mean, I mean David has been working hard at this saw thing. You know, and, and could have killed him, but didn't kill him. And trying to respond, Saul's chasing him, and, but David's trying to return good for evil. Right? I mean, that David's trying to do this stuff. Okay, 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 okay. Ongoing God, all right, you're doing this work in my heart. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But then, then there's this neighbor problem that comes up in 1 Samuel 25. And, and here's the question. When I say to you, vengeance is mine, I will repay. The big question today is, who says that? (laughs) 
Me? Or God? And think about Bill's scenario. Think of David's scenario with Nabal here in 1 Samuel 25. All right? So we're going to... The the other thing I just wanted to mention to you briefly, and you don't need to remember any of these specific places, but but do you kind of get the feel when you look at that, like, wow, that's a lot of traveling. And this is just the snippets of what we have from the accounts here in 1 Samuel of all the movement that David had to make as a, as a refugee, as a fugitive, I mean, as a fugitive while Saul was on the run for him. So he's just, I mean, he's booking it all over the place. I mean, he's, he's, he's been up in Engedi, almost lost his life there. Now he's back down to this Mayon area, this desert of Mayon, and, and he's going to have this, this other issue come up. He's going to go from there in the next chapter. We're going to see this next week when, when, when we talk about that. He's going to have a whole other issue. So David is just, he's, he's a man on the go because his, his life is at risk. And, and it's not just that. He's got 600 men with him. And some of their family. That's a lot of people to be concerned. I mean, how many of them can you stuff in a cave to hide? Do you see the problem? He's constantly on the move. All right? And right now there's a respite. Saul is not involved here in chapter 25. Praise the Lord. David's getting his breath, and he has one of these snow shovel incidents come up. Something like that. It's a lot worse than a snow shovel. So, what I want to do is just kind of talk our way through the story. And, And as we do, can you resonate with David? I mean, do you hear David go like, I get it. Yeah. And then, as God transforms him, will you let him do that to you? Simple. It's all we want to do in our time together. But, but let, let's, let's try to enter into this. So, chapter 25 begins, Now, Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. They buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. And there's some debate exactly where that is. It's probably in the area here of Maon. A certain man in Maon. So the bottom line is Samuel is, is, is off the, off, out of the picture, largely. And he's died. Who does David go to? Well, there's Jonathan. But things are limited. A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep. Folks, that's a lot of livestock. And you know, you need a lot of men to watch those sheep and goats. Which he was shearing in Carmel. So it's, it's a time of the year where you would shear the sheep and it would be the wool. And it was a festive time. And, and so it wasn't all unusual then in these festive times. You'd have this huge banquet. As a matter of fact, we're going to find out later. He has a feast for a king. 
And so all of his men could have been a couple hundred of them. And then, and then he's got these shears and everybody together. It's, it's a big deal. Well, David hears about this. But anyway, his name was Nabal. Now, in the Hebrew, that means, you know what that means? Fool. You guys are going to be having a baby in a couple weeks. I can't imagine. Uh, do you know if it's a boy or a girl? You, you don't have to tell us. But let's, let's suppose it's a boy. Let's just suppose. All right. And I say, Carmelo calls up. Says, hey, if we had the babies, little boy. What's his name? We're calling him fool. Oh, 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 okay. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. I mean, what, 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 do you, what do you do with this? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Now, now, in all fairness, what probably happens here is you can actually point in the Hebrew they worked with consonants, and you can point them with vowels differently. So, so actually, his, his name, his actual name could have, been, could have meant something different. But obviously, it wasn't too long before you could just repoint his, hit the consonants a little bit and say, that guy is a fool. Okay, so in all, in all fairness, I don't think the mother was actually saying, let's call him fool. But it wasn't long before that nickname came to stick because of the way he lived his life. And his wife's name was Abigail. She was, now, now the NIV here says intelligent. I, I pr- prefer the translation. She was wa- a wise and beautiful woman. But her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. He was distantly related to David of the tribe of Judah. And when you met this guy, he's not the kind of guy you want to do business with. I mean, he is always going to rip you off. He's always going to protect himself. He is hard. There is no mercy. Tough guy. All right? Now, if you're reading this story for the first time, the problem is you've heard this story before. But if you're reading this story for the first time, that's background, and that's really important background. And you should have all kinds of red flags going, at this point. You should be going like, well, I'm thinking like, how did she ever end up with this guy? But she's in that home, and that's a whole other question we don't have answers for. But nonetheless, stellar, wise woman. Hard, mean, cruel, foolish Rich husband. That's how it starts. And they're doing the shears. And and it's a time of festivity. So David thinks, I'm going to make a request. Because we've been caring for these shepherds and goat herders. We've been been doing this for a long time. So look what happens in verse 4. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing the sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you. Good health to you and your household. And good health to all that is yours. Now, I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. I mean, David was no Robin Hood. You know, he didn't steal from the rich and give to the poor. He didn't steal. He says, we protected all those guys, even though you were a rich guy. All right. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men, 
since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. Isn't that an interesting request? David didn't say, I want this much of this and that much of this and this much of it because you owe me, buddy. Doesn't say it like that. He says, look, it's a festive time. We're just saying, can you give anything to us? We, we have been protecting your guys for an extensive period of time. Okay? Things begin to get a little bit more tense now. Verse 9. When David's men arrive, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. So what's this guy going to say? Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Well, he's actually distantly related to you, but whatever. Okay, whatever. Um, Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. He's rogue. He's a rebel. He's on the wrong side of history. And all the guys with him are doing the same old thing, all those 600 of them. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word to David. So how you feeling? It's worse than a snow shovel problem. Isn't it? He's got all these men that he's caring for. And David, all right, he's working the Saul thing, but he's had it with this guy. Look at what happens. So they did, and David strapped uh, uh, his, I'm sorry, David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. Which tells us there's a significant number of men under Nabal for him to take 400 men with him. Like if he could have knocked us off with 50, he would have. So this is not going to be an easy feat. But David says, I had it. We have put in all kinds of time protecting this guy and his sheep and doing all these kinds of things. And I have had it. He is done. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. That's, David's, that's what David says. That's where he is. And, but can you feel that a little bit? I mean, before we throw darts at David, if I think if I was one of his 400 men, I may have said, yeah, let's go. I don't know. shouldn't tell you that, but I probably would have. So on the one hand, you've got this scene where David is just like, let's go, guys, get it. We're going to nail. And, and we're going to find out later, he says, By morning, not one male will be left connected with Nabal. That means he could be killing one, two, 250 people. The shearers, if they get in the way, they're off too. Take them all out. He's ticked. Split screen. Phase over here. One of the servants that heard what Nabal said to, to David's 10 men, he beelines it over to Abigail who wasn't aware of what was going on, because she would have obviously intervened much quicker if she could have. Verse 14. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, 
David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet, and, and, and the idea there of hurling insults, it's translated different ways, um, but, 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 but the idea is he was like screaming and yelling. I mean, the, the picture you get in Nabal is when these guys said, hey, you know, good health, you know, hey, he just was screaming. He was out of control. Yet these men were good to us, the servant says. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time that we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us. The whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now, think it over and see what you can do. Because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can even talk to him. Servant comes to Abigail and says, Abigail, you got to do something. We can't talk to Nabal. He's an idiot. He didn't listen. I don't know what you're going to do, but you got to do something. And this is one wise woman. Verse 18, Abigail acted quickly. Now, I, 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 I guess... Because when you look at the list of food items here, this is a lot of stuff. But we're going to find out shortly that he made a feast for a king. I think there was so much food, she was able to just instantly take this and take that and take this and take that. And they could take it and they could, she could give it to David. And Nabal and his party wouldn't skip a beat. They would just keep right on going. She acts quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dresses of sheep, five seahs of roasted grain. That's about 60 pounds of grain. A hundred cakes of raisins and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. Not on a donkey, on donkeys. I mean, she was going to go way overboard with this thing. I mean, David wasn't going to say, well, that's nothing but a snack. Oh, no. This is a guy's meal. Okay? I mean, this, I mean he, he's, he's really ready on this one. Um, she told her servants, go ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Which is probably a good thing because the guy was drunk anyway. Um. So she, she just, she says, this whole household is going to be destroyed. My drunken, foolish husband is in no place to do anything, and she intercedes. Now look at this, folks. Do you get this picture? David and his men are sweeping this direction. She is moving this direction. Can you imagine how scary that could be? Okay, look at what happens. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. Do you think her heart was beating a little bit harder? I mean, don't you? I mean, I would imagine so. David had just said this. Look at this. David is still angry. It's not like David's, um, you know, David's calming down. It's not like as they're walking, hey, you know, guys, why don't we leave a couple of them alive? Uh, you know, Let's just smack him around a little bit. No, no. I mean, the, David, is, David is enraged so much so 
David had just said this, so they're on the walk. It's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing, he has paid me back evil for my good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all those who belong to him. He even makes a pact to God. God, you can do to me. If I don't wipe them all out by morning, you can come after me. Now, now he's going to have to pull back on that whole thing. But I'm just, can you see how upset he is? I mean, this guy hasn't toned down a bit. As a matter of fact, it sounds like he's kind of amped it up. When Abigail, verse 23, saw David, she quickly got off her donkey, bowed down before David with her face to the ground. This is one smart woman, man. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. Are we still about her husband? He is just like his name. His name means fool. And folly goes with him. As for me, your servant, I did not see your your men who my Lord sent. And, And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, May your enemies and all those who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. This woman is wise. She's already telling David what he should do, but not by not telling him what he should do. Do you see that? She doesn't even go up and say, hey, David, David. Don't do this evil. Um, she says, oh, I know what you're going to do. You're going to do the right thing. You're not going to return evil for evil. You're going to return good for evil. I mean, David, that's, that, that, that's, that's not what you're going to do. See, see what I'm saying? I mean, she's already assuming the right response from David. I mean, she, this, this is a good woman. This is a good woman. Look at verse 28. Please forgive your servant's presumption. I I, I mean, she hasn't done anything, but the Lord your God, but she felt responsible as part of that home. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles. You know what she's saying? David, this ain't the Lord's battle right now. And no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live, which means you don't want to do that right now either. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. You think think a guy like David could understand that sling imagery? And he knows, God protects his own David. But those that are wicked, gone. David's going like, yeah, I can see that picture. I get that one. Then she goes on to say this. 
When the Lord, in verse 30, when the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. When the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servants. Isn't that great? I mean, that is some of the most incredible wisdom from this woman. And she says, David, do you want to do something rash now? Which will lead to all kinds of consequences in the future. Where innocent people are killed. And you will live for an extend, maybe the rest of your life, with regret and guilt over what you've done. David, aren't you about God? Can he protect you here the way he did with Saul? David, think about God. Don't think about yourself. It's his battles, not yours. Do you see what she's doing? It is, a, it is such a rich text. And she, she pushes David. And, 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 and all I can say is, uh, David is a man after God's own heart. He was a hothead. Okay, I'll give you that one. And he's just, and then she falls down, and, and, and it just kind of comes in these incredibly kind waves. She returns good for evil, doesn't she? And she begins to just speak into his soul God's word. And those waves just begin to come in, and it just, all that anger just kind of fades away. And look at what David says in response. David says to Abigail, praise you? Is that what he says? Who does he praise? That's right. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. Abigail, you are a messenger from God. You've spoken the words that I know into my soul. Because I had forgotten them. I was so ticked off. I couldn't hear a blooming thing. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive to daybreak. Do you see that? I mean, she was a messenger from God. And she was so wise because she didn't go and say, stop it, baby. You're being a big baby right now. I mean, that probably wouldn't have gone over so well. (laughs) So the way she came in and the way she spoke these words to him and she reminded him of who God is and of who he is in relationship to God and what it means to really be the kind of person you should be with other people, all of a sudden David was like, the light just came on. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words. And granted your request. And David and his men go home. And Abigail goes home. The problem is, 
Abigail's tension isn't quite done yet. Because <laughs> she just got to go back to the fool. Right? So again, this wise woman gets back there and she's just trying to figure out herself, what's the best way to approach my husband? Well, he's, a, he's in a drunken stupor when she gets back. That's no time to say anything. Okay? So she's just trying to wait and put this all through. So verse 36, when, when Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. But then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, I would imagine quite a hangover, his wife told him all these things. And I think she was probably very kind with it too. But I think part of what she said was, you almost destroyed our entire household with your foolishness. I don't know how she said it exactly. I'd love to know those words, what she said there. The Bible doesn't tell us. All we know is this. His heart failed him and he became like a stone. So, so, so perhaps he had a stroke, went into a coma, something like that. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. God always gets his man. It's better than the FBI. And David would have wiped out all kinds of innocent guys. I mean, a shepherd out there singing like, what, what, what's David? You know, dead, gone, finished. And God, like a laser beam, focused in on the one person. And in his way and in his time, he ended Abel's life. And it was done. It was over. So what's the aftermath of all that? What's the, the ultimate resolution? What happens? Listen to the end of the story. It's a great story. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, what are the first words out of his mouth again? Praise be to the Lord. Do you see how he's refocused? David was so focused on killing that guy and everybody around him. I was so kicked off. Now, first words out of David's mouth is Godward. When Abigail talks to him, praise God. When he hears what God does, praise. Do you see? Do you see? He's reoriented. And that makes all the difference in the world when you're reoriented. Praise be, be to the Lord, who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. God is God. I am not the avenger. God is the avenger. Do you see that? Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. And she became David's third wife. We won't get into that whole matter. We can always, you can always fall back on the idea, but he was a king or a king-elect. Okay, whatever. It also creates problems down the road, as we're going to find, but nonetheless. So here's the question. In your life, and I don't know if it's a snow shovel. It probably isn't that. That was just something I fictitiously made up. But people bug us, don't they? And it's especially hard. It's one thing when you're working a sustained problem. Okay, I'm working the soft thing. And that's not easy. James looked at that last week. That's a hard one. That's a really hard one. 
But I don't need I don't need this stupid event from a stupid neighbor doing this stupid thing to me. Man, I'm gonna get that sucker. That's how you feel. No, I, I, am I tell is it not true? And 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 it's so easy. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. For Doug Finkbinder to speak that. I'm going to do that. And my question for you is, who speaks these words in your life? Is it you? Or is it God? And my my prayer is that God will have used this story to soften your hearts to say, you know what? That's God's deal. I I can leave that with him. That frees me to praise and worship and leave and, and, and still have pain. Yes, it's not nice. No. But I'm not responsible to be the judge on that one. I can leave that one with God. And in his time and in his way, he will be just. So what's the point? When someone responds with evil to your kindness, and that's what hurts so, doesn't it? Rather than returning evil for evil, wait upon God alone to avenge you because he will certainly exercise justice against the unrepentant. And I, might, I should probably add there, in his time. In his time. You say, okay, Finkbeiner, I have a problem. What's your problem? Here's my problem. Nabal died 10 days later. My neighbor with the shovel, he's been alive for the last three months. (laughs) I mean, you know what I'm saying? What do you do while you wait? And it doesn't mean you get every. Uh, it doesn't mean you get up every morning and say, "Lord, I'm going to do an imprecatory prayer against my neighbor again today." I mean, I mean, that's not the way we're supposed to be living at all. Okay, we, we we get that. But but my point is, where we often struggle is, we can wait an entire lifetime and pass away, and that bugger is still alive. You know what I'm saying? And in our heart, we go like. Ugh. And what I can tell you is this. God always gets his man. If that bugger never repents, never comes to terms with God, they'll stand before the ultimate judge one day, and he is the best of all judges. And you know what that does? That frees me up Not to get revenge, not to figure out ways to stick it to that person, not to do this, not to do that. It frees me up to say, God, that is yours. And and, and you know, you know what Jesus will end up saying with this, the ultimate David. Jesus will say, not only do you give it up to me, but I want you to pray for that person which despitefully uses you. I want you to bless the person who curses you. I want you to love the person who hates you. So if you want to do anything with your energy, let your energy be around doing good to those that do evil against you. 
Doesn't that sound bizarre at one level? Honestly, I mean, if somebody doesn't know Jesus Christ or the gospel or anything, I don't know. Some people might say, now that's bizarre. It's one thing for me to back away. Okay, I'll back away and do nothing. Okay. But then to do good for heaven's sakes? That's just plain bizarre. It is bizarre unless you know the gospel. Because 1 Peter 2 tells us when Jesus was on the cross... And when people were throwing at him every kind of mean statement, hey, come on down, pal, and we'll, <laughs> we'll worship you. <laughs> Guys, on the yeah, get us off of this, these crosses too if you can, buddy. And, and they're just one insult after another. After Nobody walked by the cross that day and say, oh, praise the Lord, the Son of God's dying for the sins of the world. Nobody, not even the disciples, they didn't have a clue what was going on. They just went by and they said, he's getting what he deserves. That would-be fake Messiah. Let's mock him. And First Peter 2 says, Jesus, when they hurled all that at him, entrusted himself to God and looked back at them and said, oh, that you might know God's forgiveness. You see what he did? He dies, he does the ultimate act of goodness by dying for the very ones that mock and ridicule him. That's the gospel, folks. That's Jesus, our Lord. That's the ultimate David. Jesus gives us all the perspective in the world when it comes to these things. He never minimizes the pain or, or the level of the offense. He never does that in Scripture. He maximizes what he has done for us. And that changes everything. You can't do it on your own. There's no way, man. You're going to just strap on that sword and take as many people with you and take down as many of them as you can. That's what you're going to do apart from God. But to know a God that you can rest in, to know a God who has become one of us and experienced all of this to the fullness and is entrusted and loved. That's the best. Father, In our hearts, it is so easy to cry out, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Lord, will you tenderize our hearts? Will you saturate our hearts with the gospel? Will you point us to David's ultimate son, Jesus, who entrusted himself to you And bled on the cross for the sins of the world, even as he was being attacked. God, do your good work. I I don't know the particular offenses that are represented here in, in, in a room this size. There are many. But will you allow, Father, through your spirit, for people to see Jesus, to see you differently? to be able to rest in you and move back like Jesus into a world that is often filled with fools that have hurt us. 
In Christ's name I pray. Amen.